Hi everybody, this is Mark Iskowitz, Executive Editor at MMM, and welcome to our, I guess this is the fifth installment of our special edition of the MMM podcast, uh, recording live at the Health Conference in Las Vegas. It's my great pleasure to welcome to the broadcast booth uh, David Goldsmith, who is uh, Chief Strategy Officer for WeGo Health, which is of course the network of 100,000 thought leaders and influencers uh, in the patient community uh, that are connecting up um, and uh, enabling life sciences to transform the healthcare system. How are you doing, David? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Sure. Thanks for joining me. It's great to be here. Great. Um, so, you know, this is, uh, is this your first year or your second year? My health? first year. It's your first year, like, like me, it's your first year. What are your general impressions? Give me your 30,000 foot view of, of the uh, proceedings here. Well, first thing I'm struck by, of course, is that we've got an incredible cross-section of the healthcare community here, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and fortunately, it's not only the healthcare leaders from major companies and startups and everything in between, but uh, with us, it's now many patients who are being served by these systems or um, who are on the front lines of healthcare and who we've been uh, fortunate to bring to the event to hear their perspective and talk about things like patient-driven design and working with patients in collaboration to help address some of these you know, really complex problems. So it's for me to be able to see that total cross-section in one room is, is um, means a lot, right? We, th that's mm -hmm. what we need to see more of at these kinds of conferences. Right, everybody says, if there's a mantra here, it's that if you want to change, you got to involve all the stakeholders. you got to get everybody under the same roof, right? That's so, right. <clears throat> so, um, you know, uh, I know you wanted to talk about or you have an opinion on the big news today from Facebook, which was that they launched, launched a preventive health initiative. And I think this captured people's imagination for a couple different reasons. A, it's Facebook, you know, and anything they do is going to be closely watched. But also, given the context around, uh, you know, the the concern that they sparked uh, last year with their you know research project that involved um, you know hospitals and um, asking the hospitals to share illness and prescription information that then would ostensibly be used to identify which patients would be candidates uh, for different types of treatments or, or care, um, which was subsequently scuttled. Um, in the wake of the Cambridge Analytica data leak, leak scandal. Uh, and also, I think, just the prospect of using social media uh, as a platform for public health or population health. Give me your, your two cents on it. Well, one of the things that um, we see every day with Facebook is literally hundreds of thousands of patients who are flocking there to connect with their peers and to share all kinds of information related to some aspect of their lives, particularly in health, right? Uh, it could be major challenges they're facing. It may be um, emotional um, you know, issues that they can really only talk about with somebody else who can relate to their situation. In other cases, it's people seeking information about a diagnosis that they may have just received or trying to understand new treatment options they may not have heard about. I mean, every kind of conversation you might imagine patients having with one another um, are happening as we speak today, right now on Facebook. And um, people are disclosing very sensitive information in some cases and um, have no interest in having that information um, mined or sold or harvested for, um, you know, without their consent. And so it's obviously been very controversial. Um, and yet at the same time, 
they also have no interest in leaving Facebook. Sure, there are people who have um, been very upset, uh, rightly so, about some of these practices and have been so angry they actually left the platform, canceled their accounts. But what we're finding is that the vast majority of the people we work with have no intention of leaving the platform despite these concerns because they don't want to leave these communities. Um, and it's, you know, it's Europe, it's friends, it's families, but it's also these extended networks of people. They feel a loyalty to those networks. And this loyalty. And so with Facebook saying, well, we want to do more to be a part of the, pro the solution, not, not a part of the problem with respect to some aspects of healthcare, um, uh, and stepping up to try to say, we, let's have an impact on public health. Uh, it's hard not to view that, of course, in, uh, as a laudable move on their part. And uh, I did have an opportunity to hear Freddie Abnusi speak yesterday, and as a cardiologist, I was struck by his comment that he left the practice of medicine because he wanted to have a bigger impact on public health, and um, hence went to Facebook. And, um, you know, given the things that we hear and see with Facebook, it leaves you wondering, well, what is that impact, right? What day-to-day what -day can Facebook do, or is Facebook doing proactively to try to improve public health, um, and um, what form does that take? And so for them to say, we're going to do more, we're going to partner with these organizations, we're going to focus on some very critical issues around you know, prevention and so forth, uh, again, it's all very laudable, and I think that one of the things that I am hopeful we will see come out of this is that the work to be done will be done not just um, by virtue of having a platform that they can with they can disseminate a lot of information, but they will actually really work in tandem with these patient thought leaders and influencers who are on this platform and who have tremendous reach and credibility in these patient communities to help them uh, accomplish their goals. And that, you know, I think the concern is that some of this happens in a kind of organic way and it's easy for Facebook to say, well, if we have the platform and we put the information out there, it will get into the right hands. And that's true up to a point, but I think that there's an opportunity for Facebook as well as for Twitter and Instagram and other platforms, say, well, why don't we work in close coordination with these patient influencers who have this reach, who have an authentic and trusted voice, and, and ensure that whatever we're trying to do is fueled and amplified by those people to the extent that that can happen. And, and you know, these are people who are, in many cases, incredibly passionate themselves about having a greater impact in health. So if they can work in tandem with a company like Facebook to make that kind of progress, they're, they're going to be very open to it. And I think that become, that's a win for Facebook, certainly a win for those who are trying to do this work, and it's a, a public health win. Sure, and it's a nice acknowledgement that something new needed to be tried, I think, you know, to hear the, some of the medical societies tell it, you know, they've for years 
provided their evidence-based guidelines to providers with the hopes that they would then disseminate that information to patients. But if you look at screening levels, they've remained constant, and that's a big lost opportunity to impact fatalities and cancer and, and, and heart health, as they put it. And so they wanted to go where the patients are, and patients clearly are on Facebook. They're on Twitter. You know, they're on all these new platforms, um, you know, um, Snapchat, TikTok. Don't ask me what TikTok is, but I know people are there. Uh, and so that's, that's a, a nice company. acknowledgement. <laughs> it's a nice acknowledgement uh, that, that, you know, we need to try something, something new. Um, so from that aspect, it's interesting as well. Um, and, um, you know, they, the, there was a lot of uh, um, talk about or discussion about how the information is being conveyed in a consumer-friendly fashion um, and uh, that they will take, you know, great pains to protect the privacy of the information, which was good to hear as well. You know, it's interesting, Mark, I mean, as you were describing, uh, as you were kind of responding to this, I think one thing I'm struck by is that in healthcare, a lot of the channels through which communication has happened traditionally, um, the, the, there's a lot of persistence there. In other words, uh, companies continue to look at the usual suspects when it comes to communicating certain information around health. So, for example, it's natural that you would say, well, let's work with the healthcare providers to get right. this message out. Let's work with with the employers or the payers, and mm -hmm. you know the self-insured employers, for example, who have benefits managers where they're trying to focus on health and wellness initiatives. And let's get mm -hmm. this information out through those channels, established channels, right? Right. established <coughs> channels. And the fact is that one of those established channels now is the patient community writ large, and it's not just an amorphous blog. It's a community that is increasingly well-defined well and where you can discover leaders within these communities, people who have a measurable, substantial footprint, whether it's in a rare disease community or whether it's in large, you know, chronic disease communities. These people can be e relatively easily found and um, they're bloggers, they're, they're, they're podcasting, many of them have created YouTube channels. They have their own digital um, footprint with which to get a lot of information out there. So there's, that's the new channel through social media and other platforms that healthcare should be looking to tap into in order to really um, have a much greater impact. Sure. We talk about having a greater impact through tapping that channel. What is, what's untapped so far? Where's, where's the untapped potential there? Well, I think there's a big untapped potential in terms of behavior change and lifestyle management. I mean, one of the, if there's a recurring theme at this and most healthcare conferences I go to, it's around the challenge of engaging a complex um, you know, uh, population where you have multiple uh, comorbid conditions and where um, people feel alienated. A lot of those, those individuals feel kind of alienated from the healthcare system. They don't feel like they're well served. They're, in many cases, they feel very isolated. Um, they are dealing with very busy healthcare providers who don't have enough time to provide them with the kind of empathetic connection that they're looking for. So um, I believe that we're seeing, again, with so many patients who are truly empowered, who are health activated, who are hyper engaged and connected in their health, those are individuals who, and who are very passionate about wanting to help others who have their condition or have faced similar kinds of health challenges. Those are people who can be um, activated 
to play a greater role in helping other people. Again, that's happening in a very organic way through patient communities. It's happening certainly you know, 24-7 on Facebook, as well as a host of other patient communities. But for the most part, it has been an organic process, um, people connecting with each other almost randomly by virtue of having a shared connection or, or, or shared condition or interest. And um, that's fantastic. We should continue to do whatever we can to foster that. But even just in our own network, we have over 100,000 people who are known to us with profiles who are saying, this is my experience in the healthcare system. These are the challenges I have faced. I want to help others and I want to work with the industry. So let's tap those folks to help make some of these connections with these broader patient communities to help them with awareness campaigns, to help them um, uh, get messages out there to folks in those communities about the importance of using something like a patient portal, why that's valuable to them, how they can use that data to inform future decision making related to their health, um, to talk about something as un, um, sexy as medication adherence and as challenging as medication adherence. It's one thing for that message to come from a provider or from a payer. It's very different when that message is coming from a patient who has multiple sclerosis or is dealing with a complex condition and can say, I know this is a struggle. I know there are side effects. I know that this is challenging from a host of perspectives, but here's why this is so important and let me share my experience. So there's a way to harness that, I think, and it's just much more methodical and strategic within healthcare than anything we've really seen at scale up to this point. Sure. Before I let you go, um, you know, what are you going to take back with you to Salt Lake City? What's your big takeaways from HLTH? Probably not our hallway conversation about uh, <laughs> this podcast. But. <laughs> It'll be one of them, actually. But um, I think one of my takeaways is that the um, the to the extent that what you see here at this conference in particular are some of the senior leaders um, within healthcare, again, payers, providers, tech companies, etc., I think that a lot of them are not really aware of what this opportunity is to, to work, within the, work with the patient community. I think we tend to think of the patient community as the passive recipients of the healthcare or the passive or active mm -hmm. users of all of these different apps and devices and therapies. But within those patient communities, there are these catalysts for change. There are catalysts for action. But I don't, it's, it's kind of invisible. It's not easily um, detected. It's, it's not like people are a part of a trade association necessarily as a patient community. They're, you know, they're not unionized, or, you know, right? So it's like, well, who are these people that you are talking about? How would we work with them? And I think if we can make greater headway in, in getting this segment of the patient community more visible to the leadership within these companies, I think that there's an opportunity for them to say to their teams, Let's get out there and find a way to create a, let's, let's not find a way, let's set up a patient advisory board. Let's get some patient influencers telling us what more we can be doing to better engage in this particular target audience we want to reach. Um, to really start to bake it into the DNA of their organizations. And I think 
this kind of, of, of work needs to be top down and it also needs to be bottom up. And I see a lot of it happening bottom up and not enough mm. top down. So mm. I hope to be able to come up with some strategies and tactics, you know, leaving here to say, let's, let's go find a way to, to get in more boardrooms and have these conversations and, and, and help others understand what kind of untapped opportunity there is here. Yeah, great, great. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, David. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of the show. I will. Thanks so much. Paul. You got it. Thanks. Take care.